Uh, We turn now to the Word of God, and you'll find your sermon text printed on beginning in page 8 today. It's a long text today, so it goes on from there. Uh, You'll also find it in Genesis chapter 24 in your Bibles around page 17 in the Pew Bible in front of you if you'd like to read it from a Pew Bible. As the choir is finding their seats and everyone is settling in, once you have turned there, let's pray and ask the Lord to bless us this morning. Oh, God, we come this morning with a, with a joy that is found and the hope that you give us. We know there will be a day when our, our race is complete and we can say we fought the good fight and that you have been there with us and for us. And even then, as, as we stand the test and as we receive the crown of life, even then we're going to say, yet not I, but through Christ in me. Even then, we're going to look to him, the one who gave us strength, the one who made us new, the one who earned our reward for us and gives it to us through faith. Oh, we have joy in you this morning through that. And we ask now, we're going to turn to your word and we pray that you would give us a word of assurance about the generations that come after us. When our race is done, we sometimes wonder what's going to happen to our kids and our grandkids and those that we've led to Christ. And we just ask that you would show us how faithful you will be to them. Uh, Some of us, I think, are a little afraid, a little nervous. Uh, Help us to trust you with the rest of our lives and with the generation that is before us. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So some time ago, my wife and I had some friends come over, and they were a young married couple, and they came over because they had news to share with us. Now, young couples, if you don't have kids, and you call me and Emily, and you say you want to come over because you have news to share with us, we know what the news is. You're going to have a baby. We already have it figured out, okay? But come on over and tell us anyway, because it's our favorite quest, our favorite thing in the whole world to talk about almost. Uh, so this couple came over and they had something to tell us and they were so excited. And then they told us that the wife was pregnant with their first child. And oh man, there was just elation in the room. We shrieked together and we laughed and and just talked on and on about it for what felt like hours, probably wasn't. They had so many questions, you know, how much does it really cost to raise a child? Do you really need the the warmer for the baby wipes so that the wipe is warm when it comes out of the thing? Or do you not really need that? No, you don't really need that. Is there a secret to discipline besides just doing it? Uh, How are my parents going to feel about it? You know, what, what are their grandparents' names going to be? Uh, so many things they're scared about, so many questions that they want to ask. And we just talked and talked and we laughed and it was so wonderful and joyful. And then I looked over at my friend uh, and he had gotten quiet. And so I, I looked over at him and, uh, and he had a, a tear in his eye. Um, it just felt really out of place because his conversation was so happy and he looked really grave, like something was really weighing on him. And so I stopped talking and, and then the gals stopped talking and we all just kind of leaned in and we were like, what, what's bothering him? What's, what's going on? And so he wiped his eye and he was just really honest and he said, it is just so scary to think about bringing a baby into this world with everything that's going on. He's not alone. Uh, there has been a sharp decline in the number of births in the last couple of years And part of it is because couples aren't sure enough about their own future, let alone the future of the world, to be confident to bring a child into the world. 
And you really can't blame them. There's fear all over the headlines these days, right? Fear about a, about a virus that just keeps coming back and doesn't seem to want to die and fear about turmoil in our own government and fear about turmoil overseas and fear about the future of the church and the future of our church. There's so many things to be afraid of right now. And maybe the sum of all those fears that I think a lot of you are asking and, and even I'm asking is what, what kind of world are we handing to our kids are we going to be the first generation that leaves this country worse than we found it and hands something down to our kids that maybe they don't want to receive? Uh, what's going to happen to the next generation of the church after our part in the story is done and we go home to be with the Lord and they don't have us anymore? That's a scary thought. And I believe the Lord wants to speak into that fear this morning. I believe the story we're going to read today was written to speak to that very fear. I'll set up the story for you, and then we'll, we'll read it together. The backstory here, this is the last story in Abraham's life where he's really a character in it, and he kind of fades out in the middle of the story. He's in the beginning, but he's not in the end. Abraham has received wonderful promises from God through his life, and they will continue to come true for long after he's gone. Promises that he will bear descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and they're all going to come through his son, Isaac. And a promise that one of his descendants will rule the earth, possess the gate of his enemies, and be a blessing to all of the earth. And that, gen that, that one offspring is going to come through his son, Isaac. Uh, also a blessing that his many descendants are going to inherit the land of Canaan that he has spent much of his life wandering around. All those descendants are going to come through Isaac, right? It all comes through Isaac, his son. And so at the end of his life, he is looking and he is seeing one really great problem. Isaac doesn't have a wife. And if Isaac doesn't have a wife, how is he going to bear all of these descendants? How are the promises going to come true after he is gone if the Lord has not provided a wife for Isaac? To make things more difficult, Isaac cannot marry any of the Canaanite women around because of the nature of some of the promises, and he cannot go back to his homeland to find a wife either because that would defeat the purpose of Abraham leaving the homeland to come here. He can't go back, and so where is he going to find a wife? And when Abraham is gone, is this whole thing just going to evaporate and be all done? Are the promises of God going to die with Abraham? Well, the Lord tells this story in such a way as to answer that question and even to answer it for us in our generation also. Uh, we're going to read Genesis 24 this morning, and I don't know if Warren is the right word, and you've probably already seen it, but this is a long story. It's one of the longest stories in the whole Bible. And we don't apologize for reading a lot of scripture here, but I can warn you and tell you to gear up for it. It's a good story. It's a long story. Let's keep our attention dialed into it, and I think the Lord will reward us in return. Here then is the story. Now, Abraham was old, well advanced in years. And the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham had said to his servant, the eldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. The servant said to him, Perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? Abraham said to him, See to it that you do not take my son back there. 
The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and who spoke to me and swore to me, to your offspring I will give this land, he will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath of mine. Only you must not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. Then the servant took 10 of his master's camels and departed, taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master. And he arose and he went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. And he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the water, by the well of water at the time of evening, the time when women go out to draw water. And he said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show your steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring of water and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I shall say, please let down your jar that I may drink. And who shall say, drink, and I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this, I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. Before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her water jar on her shoulder. The young woman was very attractive in appearance a maiden whom no man had known. She went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. And then the servant ran to meet her and he said, please give me a little water to drink from your jar. And she said, drink, my Lord. And she quickly let down her jar upon her hand and gave him a drink. And when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran again to the well to draw water, and she drew for all of his camels. And the man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing half a shekel and two bracelets for her arms weighing 10 gold shekels and said, please tell me whose daughter you are. Is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? And she said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor. And she added, we have plenty of both straw and fodder and room to spend the night. And the man bowed his head and worshiped the Lord and said, blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness toward my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsmen. And then the young woman ran and told her mother's household about these things. Rebecca had a brother whose name was Laban. Laban ran out toward the man to the spring. And as soon as he saw the ring and the bracelets on his sister's arms and heard the words of Rebecca, his sister, thus the man spoke to me, he went to the man. And behold, he was standing by the camels at the spring. He said, come in, O blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside? For I have prepared the house and a place for the camels. So the man came and he unharnessed the camels and he gave straw and fodder to the camels. And there was water to wash his feet and the feet of the men who were with him. The food was set before him to eat, but he said, I will not eat until I have said what I have to say. He said, speak on. He said, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has greatly blessed my master and he has become great. And he has given him flocks and herds, silver and gold, male and female servants, camels and donkey. And Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master when she was old. 
and to him he has given all that he has. My master, you made me swear, saying, you shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land I dwell, but you shall go to my father's house and to my clan to take a wife for my son. And I said to my master, perhaps the woman will not follow me. But he said, the Lord before whom I have walked will send his angel with you and prosper your way. You shall take a wife for my son from my clan or from my father's house. Then you will be free from this oath when you have come to my clan. And if they will not give her to you, you'll be free from my oath. I came today to the spring and I said, oh Lord, God of my master Abraham, if now you're prospering the way that I go, behold, I am standing by the spring of water and let the virgin who comes out to draw water to whom I shall say, please give me a little water from your jar to drink. And who shall say to me, drink and I will water for your camels also. Let her be the woman whom the Lord has appointed for my master's son. And before I had finished speaking in my heart, behold, Rebecca came out with her water jar on her shoulder and she went down to the spring and drew water and I said to her, please let me drink. And she quickly let down her jar from her shoulder and said, drink and I will give your camel's drink also. So I drank and she gave the camel's drink also. And then I asked her, whose daughter are you? And she said, the daughter of Bethuel, Nahor's son, who milk bore to him. So I put the ring in her nose and the bracelets on her arms And then I bowed my head and worshiped the Lord and I blessed the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has has led me by the right way to take the daughter of my master's kinsman for his son. Now then, if you're gonna show steadfast love and faithfulness to my master, tell me. And if not, tell me that I may turn to the right hand or to the left. Then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, this thing has come from the Lord. We cannot speak to you bad or good. Behold, Rebecca is before you. Take her and go. And let her be the wife of your master's son as the Lord has spoken. When Abraham's servant heard their words, he bowed himself to the earth before the Lord. And the servant brought out jewelry of silver and gold and garments and gave them to Rebecca and also gave to her brother and to her mother costly ornaments. And he and the men who were with him ate and drank and they spent the night there. When they rose in the morning, he said, send me away to my master. Her brother and her mother said, let the young woman remain with us a little while, at least 10 days, and after that she may go. But he said to him, do not delay me since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away that I may go to my master. And they said, well, let us call the young woman and ask her. So they called Rebecca and said to her, will you go with this man? And she said, I will go. And so they sent away Rebekah, her sister, and her nurse, and Abraham's servant, and his men. And they blessed Rebekah. And they said to her, Our sister, may you become thousands of ten thousands, and may your offspring possess the gate of those who hate him. Then Rebekah and her young women arose and rode on the camels and followed the man, and thus the servant took Rebekah and went his way. Now Isaac had returned from Beer Leharoi and was dwelling in the Negeb. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening. And he lifted up his eyes and he saw, and behold, there were camels coming. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes. And when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel and said to the servant, Who is that man walking in the field to meet us? And the servant said, It is my master. And so she took the veil and she covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all of the things he had done. 
Then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother, and he took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. And so Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. The words of the Lord. Through that story, I believe the Lord today means to assure his people of his continued faithfulness to the generations after us when our part of the story comes to an end. If you're here this morning as a believer in Jesus Christ, I pray the Lord does in your life and your heart through this story, and just give you the faith to trust him with the next generation as you have faith to trust him with your own destiny and with your own life. And if you're here this morning not as a believer in Jesus Christ, say, I don't trust Jesus for all of everything I have and all of my eternal destiny, I pray that what the Lord does in your heart this morning is call you to a story that is so much bigger than your own life, a story that started long before you were born and will finish long after you have gone home. I pray the Lord calls you to faith in Jesus Christ and even to be a child of Abraham this morning. So, long story, but a pretty simple plot, right? The promises to Abraham can't come true unless Isaac finds a wife. And so, if the Lord intervenes miraculously to provide a wife for Isaac... Well, that means he intends to carry these promises on through future generations. If, on the other hand, the Lord does not intervene and does not provide a wife for Isaac, that would be a sign that the Lord blessed Abraham with many things, and once Abraham goes home, this whole thing evaporates with him. So that's the plot tension. Is the Lord going to provide a wife for Isaac? Will he be the one to work powerfully and do it? This is all happening among this feel of kind of, you might call it generational transfer. The author is moving our attention and all of the story from Abraham and Sarah down to Isaac and Rebekah. This is the last moment where Abraham is really an active character in the story, and he is introduced as being old and advanced in years. And so already the idea is that perhaps he's on his bed for the last time, giving his last blessings. For whatever reason, he can't go and take care of this errand he needs to do himself. He has to send a servant to go and do it. The servant calls Abraham his master for most of the story, But did you notice at the end, he called somebody else his master? He called Isaac his master, right? So things have transferred from Abraham down to Isaac. What's more, at the end of the story, Isaac takes Rebekah into the tent of Sarah, his mother. His mother has died in the previous chapter. And so for him to take his wife into that tent is a way of saying that she is Sarah's successor. She is the woman of the house now. And even at the very end of his story, Isaac loves his wife, and the place in his heart that had been broken by his mother's death is even mended by this wife that comes into his life. So there is a sense in which our attention is moving from Abraham and Sarah down to Isaac and Rebekah. And the promises of God are being transferred from Abraham and Rebekah down, I'm sorry, Abraham and Sarah down to Isaac and Rebekah. All the blessing and all the inheritance in the house, it's all moving from Abraham down to Isaac, from Sarah down to Rebekah. And so the question becomes, is this handoff going to work? Right? Is the Lord going to give him a wife so this whole thing can work? And so we watch anxiously to see if the Lord would provide him for a wife in that way. That matters because Israel can read this story and they can say, okay, if God provides a wife for Isaac here, 
Well, that means he intends to continue these promises down long after we're gone. And we can trust him to, once we're gone, no matter how scary the situation is, the generations after us can look to him because he will still keep his promises. And we can look today with the same faith. If the Lord continues to keep his promises, even when Abraham has become powerless and even when he will soon go home and his part of the story comes to an end, well, that means that we can look to him and trust him to care for the church after we are gone. Trust him to care for those who place their faith in him even after we're not there to guide them, even after we're not there to help him, the Lord will be as faithful to them as he has been to us. And so I want to give you from this story this morning three ways that we can be confident that God will work in future generations after us. I think that's important because there is a lot of fear in the air these days about the future of the church, isn't there? I wonder how many of you are afraid of the future of our church or afraid of the future of the church in the United States. And I wonder if our grandchildren will one day suffer persecution at the hands of those who hate the church. We're nervous about these things. And some of you look at those scary thoughts and those scary ideas knowing that in 20 years, you aren't likely to be here to help your grandchildren through those things. As you must let go of the story and leave them in God's hands, can you trust God to take care of them? I think the Lord wants to assure you this morning, yes, you can trust the Lord to care for those who come after you. Three ways we're going to see that this morning. First one comes from Abraham's confidence that he has that God will sort out this situation in Isaac. Uh, I already pointed out that in verse one, Abraham's introduced as being old, well advanced in years, very blessed. It's time to hand all of this down. But his son Isaac doesn't have a wife. His servant is rather nervous about this errand that he has sent on. And he asks around verses six and seven, like, what if the woman won't come back? Like, what, what do I do? And Abraham just has great confidence with his answer in verse 7. He says, The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, who spoke to me and swore to me, to your offspring I will give this land, he will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. Abraham's not nervous about how this thing is going down. He certainly has some of the disadvantages of old age, it looks like, but he has the advantage of old age as well. Decades of seeing God keep his promises, the ability to look back and said, God made me that promise and he kept it, and he made me that promise and he kept it. And servant, I know this, when I send you out there, he will go before you and he will be faithful to you. That's the wisdom that comes with decades of seeing God keep his promises. Abraham didn't show that kind of faith when he was young, did he? He didn't show that kind of faith when he was standing before Pharaoh, scared for his own life. But now, after decades of walking with God, he has that. He's confident that even after he's gone, God's promises won't die with him. And that's really the first point this morning. When your part of the story is over, God's promises will not die with you. When your part of the story is over, God will still keep his promises. Older Christians, I hope that this is one of the most freeing things that you have heard in a long time. When the Lord calls you home, 
his promises don't die with you. I can't imagine the fear of that day. Anything you could do to bless your children, your grandchildren, the people you've led to Christ, the church that you're part of, is done. And he can't do anything else. But what does the Lord say? He says, I send my messenger before those who need me. I will keep my promises to them even as you are gone. Older Christians, let me tell you what we need from you. Abraham in his old age can encourage this younger servant, right? The servant's nervous. He says, well, what, if, what if she won't come back? What if it doesn't work out, right? And Abraham's able to go to him and say, now the God who is faithful to me who made these promises will be faithful to you as well. Now the servant knows this, but he needs his older master to tell him of God's faithfulness as he goes out. And older Christians, I want you to know, we, we need that from you as well. We have God's promises in the word here and we read them and we trust in them. But we need those who have walked with the Lord so much longer than us to say, let me tell you about this thing that happened in my life and how God stuck by me. There, there are young women in this church who need some of you older ladies to say, you young and beautiful woman who is looking for a husband, let me tell you of the day when my husband died and God was still there for me. Right? We need your testimony of God's faithfulness. Otherwise, we have no one blazing the trail before us, and we do not know how faithful God has been to you when we hear your stories told. So as Abraham encouraged the servant with his story of God's faithfulness to him and the servant's need to hear that, I tell you, we younger people need to hear these stories from you. Don't hold your stories back. Don't apologize when you tell your stories of how God has been so faithful to you. No, let us hear them because we need to hear them. That's our first point this morning. When, God, when our part of the story comes to an end, God will still keep his promises. Uh, the second way we can be confident of God's work in the future generations comes from the emphasis we see on the help God gives this servant. Now, where we last read it, it was really plain, right, right? Abraham's promising him God is going to go before you. He will send his messenger before you. That was the thing in verse 7. That's an Old Testament biblical way of saying God will provide for you, protect you, guide you on this journey. Very common for someone to be sent and to be sitting, and may the Lord go before you, as in may he guide you, may he protect you. This is a little bit like, I know a lot of you guys this time of year, like me, are just glued to NBC right now, right? Olympic coverage going on there. It doesn't, curling, speed skating, it doesn't matter. We're like, oh, that's so, so intense, it's so awesome, right? When you watch speed skating and, and there's a team, uh, they almost are, are like a formation of ducks, aren't they? Like the first one is going and then the next one is behind them and the next one is behind them. And the one in front... Is, is essentially fighting the wind, like cutting the air. And the skaters behind the skater in front have an easier time. They can place their hand right on the back of that skater in front of them. They don't have to push as hard because the air, because the aerodynamics is being cut, they could just draft off the skater in front of them. They don't have to think too much about where to go, even though they can't see as well because they got their hand on the back of the skater in front of them. They know just what to do. They can watch their foot. And when they scoop with the left, you scoop with the left. And when they scrape with the right, you scrape with the right. And you don't even have to know as much to do this because you can just follow the motions of the skater in front of you. Keep your weight on them through balance. And their aerodynamics are cutting the air for you. You can just draft right off of them. So much easier to be that second skater in line 
than it is to be the first one who is going out into the unknown with no protection and nothing going before you. That is something of what it is like to go with God going before you. He's there protecting you. He's there making the journey easier. He's there coming alongside of you. He's there guiding you. And you're thinking to yourself, I don't even know what I'm doing here, but but you could just watch him and do as he does. You think to yourself, I don't know how I'm gonna make it through all of this, but he just keeps providing for whatever you need. I don't know how I'm gonna handle this threat that comes, and all of a sudden he takes care of you and he protects you. And Abraham promises his servant, that's what's gonna happen to you when you go on this journey. So then he goes on the journey and we ask, okay, Does it work out? And this author is so careful to emphasize just how much it works out. In chapter 22, we had seen Nahor's genealogy written out really quickly. And there was this little mention of a woman named Rebecca there. So we know that there's someone named Rebecca who is in Abraham's family, way over there. The servant winds up right there. And so maybe somebody reading through says, hey, I remember there was a young woman mentioned in that region. And then the servant waits by the water where the ladies come out to the well. This is a good place to to find a spouse because the young women are coming out to gather water for their families. And lo and behold, Rebecca comes. Oh, wait, that's the woman that was mentioned earlier, right? This is starting to feel like Everything's all coming together in a little world. Like somebody called Francine Rivers here. Like we've got a little romance story going on here, right? Let's go. So, so now there's this sense that God is orchestrating what is going on. The servant prays and says, God, would you, would you let the woman who I ask for water and who is ambitious enough to even water all 10 of these camels, would you let her be the one? And he looks up and sees her. There she is, more, more divine orchestration. And he asks her, and she does. She waters the camels too. And so there's this sense that God is answering the prayer. It took about 25 gallons of water to water one of these camels. There's 10 camels, 250 gallons of water this woman is working for him. But amazingly, God is empowering her to do it. And the servant is just watching, saying, the Lord has brought this together. And so he just worships the Lord God. Then he puts the bracelets on her, honors her, goes and and gets lodging there. And then he retells the whole story. And he places an emphasis on God providing every step. The Lord went before me. The Lord has blessed my master Abraham. The Lord did this. The Lord brought me to the well. And then he worships the Lord. And then he asks them, what are you guys going to do? Are you guys going to allow this woman to, to marry my master's son? And they answer him in verse 50 and 51. This thing has come from the Lord. We cannot speak to you bad or good. Right? Emphasis over and over again, the Lord's doing it. The Lord is doing it. Uh, the point is, Abraham said God was going to send his messenger. And we see as the story is traced, God does send his messenger. Why was the story recorded in that much detail, right? Some of you were reading this thing, thinking, does this thing need to be this long? Why does the author make it so long? So that he can recount all of these little ways that God is working. It was promised that God would send his messenger before the servant, and God does send his messenger to prepare the way, uh, to guide him and to protect him. Just like that second speed skater on the team, he's got somebody going in front of him, taking care of the wind, 
taking care of the balance, taking care of all of the difficult things that he cannot manage himself, but he can just lean on the Lord who is going before him. I believe that that servant is analogous, makes a good analogy for the people who are sent out for the sake of the gospel today. There are many uncanny connections between him and those who are sent out today. Missionaries, pastors, evangelists, preachers who are sent out to proclaim the gospel, they are sent to proclaim the promises of God and invite others to come and take part in those promises. Just as the servant goes to the family, says, you won't believe what the Lord has done for my master Abraham, Rebecca, come and be part of it, right? Very much like, a, like an evangelist calling, pulling her in. And in the same way, the Lord accompanies and goes before those that he sends today. When he sends out pastors and he sends out missionaries, sends out evangelists and teachers, he doesn't send them out on their own. He goes before them. He provides for them. He guides them and he protects them just as he did for this servant here. In fact, when Jesus is sending out his disciples in John 14, he's preparing them to be sent more properly. He says, I'm going to leave you soon, but I'm going to ask my father and he will send the helper, and that is the spirit of God, right, to, to go along with you. He uses a really strange Greek word there, paraclete, uh, which literally means the one who comes alongside, right, the one who goes alongside with you and goes with you, assuring them that, he says, disciples, when I send you out, God's not going to send his messenger before you like he did for the servant here. God is going to send his very spirit before you to prepare the way, to pave the way for you, to guide you, and to protect you. Just as this servant has just uncanny provision from God in his mission, pastors, preachers, evangelists, missionaries, when they are sent out for the mission, can expect oftentimes the same sort of uncanny provision. And that is why missionaries have such great stories to tell. It's not just because they're great storytellers. They usually are. That's part of being a missionary. But because God does such incredible things for them. God still goes with those that he sends. And he will still do that for the next generation. That is why, as this servant can sit down at dinner with everyone there and say, let me tell you the incredible story of what God has done. We've had missionaries on this stage tell incredible stories about what God has done. Uh, let me read to you one of them from George Mueller's biography. George Mueller was uh, a man who, he was an evangelist and he ran a large orphanage as well in the mid-1800s. There's a story about him. It says, one morning, all the plates and cups and bowls on the table were empty. There was no food in the larder and no money to buy food. The children were standing, waiting for their morning meal, when Mueller said, children, you know we must be in time for school. And then lifting his hands, he prayed, dear father, we thank you for what you are about to give us to eat. There was a knock at the door, and the baker stood there. And he said, Mr. Mueller, I could not sleep last night. Somehow I felt that you didn't have bread for breakfast. And the Lord wanted me to send you some. So I got up at 2 a.m. and I baked some fresh bread and I have brought it. Mr. Mueller thanks the banker and the baker, sorry, no sooner than he left, there was a second knock at the door and it was the milkman. He announced that his milk cart had broken down right in front of the orphanage and he would like to give the children his cans of fresh milk so that he could empty the wagon and repair it. 
crazy story, right? Why is it that a few thousand years later, the people that God sends are still telling incredible stories like this? Why is it people come on this stage and tell incredible stories just like this servant was able to tell about God providing for him? Because God still goes with those that he sends. He still goes before those that he sends, prepares the way for them, guides them, and protects them. And so our second point today is that when your part of the story comes to an end, God will still guide and protect those that he sends. We don't know the names of the people he's going to send in the generation after us, but we do know the name of the one who is going to go with them. And so we trust him. This is such a comfort to me as I preach stories like this. Because here's this servant who's thinking, what if she doesn't come back? What if it doesn't work out? There's so many ways that this could go wrong, and yet God is going before him. And it's such a comfort to me to be able to stand on a pulpit like this with all of my thoughts, right? What if, what if people can't pay attention? What if the church gets angry about something and splits? What if the church never grows? What if this happens? What if this? What if that? And God just says every time, I send my messenger before you. I send my spirit before you. I send my spirit before you. That's one comfort, but I'll tell you an even greater comfort. It's a greater comfort to know that if someone should follow me in this pulpit one day, years down the road, God will go before him too. Because God's not done when our part of the story is done. When we're the Abraham who's on his bed saying, my, my, my part's done here. God is not done going with those that he sends. Older folks, if you want to be encouraged, um, I, I know that when you look at the state of preaching today, uh, there are just, you know, there's a lot of Joel Osteens out there on YouTube right now, right? And, and it's tough sometimes to look at the generation of preachers that has come after you and think, man, did good preaching die with Billy Graham? Like, is that really what we're looking at here, right? It feels that way sometimes, doesn't it? Uh, if you want to be encouraged, let me give you a few names of preachers in their, in their 40s and early 50s. That Now, it's going to take working YouTube to go and get them. So, so fire up YouTube. You might have to ask your daughter or your granddaughter to show you how to use it if you don't know how to use it. But two names I'll tell you to look up, Matt Chandler and H.B. Charles. If you look up those two names, watch a few sermons, you want to see somebody younger than you in the generation after you proclaiming the word of God faithfully and be reassured that God will continue working even after he calls you home. What an encouragement that could be to your soul to see young men preaching the gospel faithfully. So that's our second point today. When your part of the story comes to an end, God will still guide and protect those that he sends. Third and finally, the third point comes from the way that Rebecca is framed in the story. She is introduced in a very unique way. I'll walk you through a few connections. Abraham's name sounded like the Hebrew word for bless. And so it looked really neat to a Hebrew reader when this man whose name sounds like the word bless becomes very blessed, right? When the blessed man becomes blessed, it looked kind of cool to a Hebrew reader. Well, now here comes Rebecca into the story and would you believe her name sounds even more like the Hebrew word for blessed? So Hebrew readers are reading that going, oh man, this, is there a connection here between her and Abraham? Not only this, but we're reminded twice in the story, first in verse 1, and then in, I believe, verse 35, that Abraham has been greatly blessed. Verse 34, the servant says, the Lord has greatly blessed my master and he has become great. And in verse 60, Rebecca's family sings to her, 
a blessing. They bless her. So now here is this woman whose name sounds like the word for blessed, like Abraham's does, and she is being blessed like Abraham was. Parallels are starting to connect here. Not only that, but in the previous chapter, the Lord blesses Abraham with the very same content of the blessing that's in verse 60. Greatly multiplied descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and that his offspring would possess the gate of those who hate him. And look at the blessings she receives in verse 60. May you become thousands of ten thousands and may your offspring possess the gate of those who hate him. So it's the same promises, same things being passed down on to her. And the kicker comes when we remember that in chapter 12, Abraham was called to leave his family and leave his homeland. And the Lord used a very powerful word, the word go. Right? The Lord calls him and says go to leave his family and leave his homeland. Rebecca is asked, will you go with this man? And at the peak of the story, she says the very same word, I will go. It's not just the promises that were passed down from Abraham to the next generation. His faith lived on in her as well. And that's the third point today. When your part of the story comes to an end, your faith will live on in the next generation. It's very common, I think, for younger Christians to presume that we are the first generation of faithful Christians to walk the earth and just forget about all the faithful Christians that came before us. I think it's common also for older Christians to fear that they may be the last generation of faithful Christians to walk the earth and that when we die, there will be no more to come after us. But thank God that both of those notions are wrong, right? That's why we spend time reading ancient stories like this. That's why our, our worship service this morning had a song from 1882 and a song from 2018. Why do we do this? God works in all kinds of generations. We're not the first and we're not going to be the last to sing these songs. And we can have confidence to that when we see that Abraham is fading, but Rebecca's faith begins shining bright as the next Abraham. We can look to future generations and say, we will know when the Lord is done giving faith to sinners because he will come back. If he has not returned yet, it means he has more that he still intends to call in to the kingdom. And if you fear that you may be among the last generations of Christians, you're not even the first to fear that. You remember Elijah, who after the great showdown on Mount Carmel, pleads to the Lord and says, I'm the only faithful prophet who has left. And God says to him, no, I've reserved 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. He always reserves a remnant in every generation. It may be harder for my grandchildren to pick up their cross and follow Jesus than it has been for me. There may be persecution in their day. There may be anything that we don't expect in their day, but we know this much. Just as Rebecca rises up and says in faith, I will go, there will be people in their generation who will rise up and who say, I will go. Faith doesn't die with us here. No, the Lord continues it down through every generation. 
This is why we continue still to work training kids and kids ministries. We still have youth Sunday school. We're going to keep doing this stuff until Jesus comes back because we believe we'll keep leading them to faith, keep using us to do it and calls us to train them in the ways of Jesus Christ. So we can trust God with the generation after us. As we fade, the Lord will burn bright in the next generation. If you're not a Christian here this morning, I hope that seeing that will just, just display to you how good God is to his people. And that the call to come and follow Jesus Christ is not a call to come and do some cool and novel thing. It's not a call to come use a new iPhone that's going to be dead in two years. It's not a call to do something that's going to fade tomorrow. To be called to follow Jesus Christ is to be called to follow the God of Abraham the son of Abraham, Jesus Christ, the one who is reigning on the throne eternally now and will come back one day to rule forever. It's a call to be part of a story that started long before you and lives long after you. And so I just close this morning by calling anyone who will hear, would you turn from all that you trust in? Would you turn from your sin? Would you look to this Jesus Christ who through his death and resurrection has secured forgiveness for anyone who would trust in him? And would you just simply say to him, I, I trust you. Even I will go. I don't know what kind of world we're going to leave to our kids and our grandkids. But we do know the God that we are leaving them to. A God who keeps his promises. Because the grass dies and the flower fades. But the word of the Lord endures forever. Right? You. You will die. And I will fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Amen? Amen. All right, let's pray together.